Good morning, church. Welcome to Living Water. We're glad you're here. You have to bear with me this morning. I, I was doing some painting and different things this week, and something fired up my allergies, and so I've been fighting a little head pressure, and I noticed when I go during worship, I closed my eyes for a moment and felt like I was going to fall over. So if I fall over this morning, that's just all it is. It's allergies. Uh, but I'm glad you're here this morning. Always good to be in God's house, to be able to worship together, to be able to open his word together. And how many know that God's word is powerful? And God's word still speaks to us today. I really believe that. I believe that God's word speaks to us today in every situation. I think there's an answer to everything that we go through in life in the word of God. And so as David had you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, we've been in a series called Crucible, the choices that change your life forever. And we've been looking at the life of David. And while we look at the life of David, we see some patterns or we see some crucible moments, some tests that God brought along the way for David, some that had nothing to do with God. It was just an opportunity for God to use to grow David or to reveal the character of King David, this man after God's own heart. But we're following the life of David, looking at these crucible moments and how he responded in those crucible moments. But before we dismiss this as a series about David, I want us to know it's also a series that speaks to and has application for our lives today. As I said a moment ago, I believe God's word is powerful. I believe it has application for our life. Um, and so as we go through these crucible moments, these sermon topics, I'm hoping that we can see ourselves in the story and we can say, all right, God, how can I also learn that when I encounter a crucible moment? Because my Bible says in this world you will have troubles. Amen? And so the reality is we're going to have moments in life that are going to test us in our faith. And that's what this whole idea of a crucible is about. Just a quick reference to the definition for the word crucible. Uh, first off, it's a, a vessel of refractory material um, as porcelain for melting and calcining a substance that requires a high degree of heat. You can put stuff in this, fire it up really hot. And when it gets really hot, the things start to separate. The dross or the trash comes to the surface. And you have a choice in that moment. You can just skim the trash off the top and be done with it once and for all, or you can ignore it. And as it cools back down, that trash or that dross can settle back down into your character. And I just want you to know, God is in the business of developing character. He loves you right where you're at, but he refuses to leave you there. He wants to grow us in our faith, and he does it through crucible moments. Uh, a second definition is a severe test. And as we look at the text today, that's exactly what we're going to see for David. He experiences a severe test, and he will need to make a choice um, as he faces this crucible moment. It's also a place or a situation in which concentrated forces interact to cause or influence change or development. As I've said along the last few weeks, that God um, is in the business of growing our faith, growing our character, developing us. And there are several references throughout Scripture that speak of God sitting as a refiner, and we're the ones being refined. And I don't know about you, but I like the idea that he's growing us in our faith. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes it hurts. But I'm thankful that he loves us enough that he wants to develop us in our character. Amen? So the choices that change your life forever, um, today's message is despair or resolve. Again, we're looking at the life of King David, um, and we're in chapter 30. And what I want to do is kind of bring us up to speed first before we jump into the text. And so last week we looked at David. He was on the run from Saul. He's killed Goliath, right, the enemy of the, of the Israelites. He, he kills Goliath, and now he's on the run from King Saul, and he has two opportunities to take out Saul, who was threatening his life. 
And we see the character in that moment of David. When he had the opportunity, he didn't take advantage of the circumstance, but he relied on the truth. And the truth was, hey, Saul was still God's anointed king, and David recognized that. And David said, in time, God will change things, and I'll be the king at some point, but it's not my role to take out the threat at this time. So King David and his men, about 600 of them, are still on the run from Saul, and they finally go to a different place. Let's just get out of Israel altogether. Let's go to the land of the Philistines. Just rewind for a moment. Who were they in a battle with earlier? The Philistines, right? So let's go to the land of the Philistines, and we can find safety there from King Saul. So they go there, and they find a man uh, named Achish, who's the king of Gath. Just a reminder, Goliath, whom David killed, was from Gath. So David and his men are hanging out in the enemy territory to find safety from Saul. Now, while they were there, David and his men would go out on these raids. I mean, they would raid the neighboring communities in Philistine country. And they would just wipe everybody out because no one could get back to the king to tell them what David and his men were doing. So this is what they were doing while they were in Philistine or in Philistine um, in this land. And so they were there for a year and four months, it says. Um, and, and then it goes on to say that at one point there was this big battle that was going to be waged again between Israel and the Philistines. And so they're taking up their positions. They're about ready to go into battle. So David, a friend of this Philistine king now, Kish, um, says he's going to ride into battle with the Philistines to battle against his own people, the Israelites. And so he's gained the favor so far of King Achish, and he's like, hey, I trust David. He's going to go with us, right? But the problem was not all the other leaders in the army of Philistines um, trusted David and his men. They said, hey, let me remind you, King Achish, he's the one that killed Goliath, our champion. Let me remind you what they're saying about him over in Israel. David, or Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Uh-uh, I don't want him to go to battle with us. Because here's what we think will happen. We're going to get into battle, and David and his men are going to turn on us and show their loyalty to Israel. How else will he be able to show his loyalty to Israel in that moment if he should turn on us and kill us? And so they say to the king, send him back to his town, the town that you've given him. Um, they demanded. It says, he can't go into battle with us. What if he turns against us um, and the battle becomes our adversary? Um, and, and then he goes on to say that the king said, basically, I've never found a flaw in you, David. I trust you, but these guys don't. So please, don't make it a big deal. Just go back to Ziklag. Ziklag was the town that the king had given them to live in. <clears throat> so David and his men were upset that they had to go back. But it says in, in verse 10 of chapter 29, Now get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back to the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel to fight the Israelites. Now, this is a three-day journey from where they were at. So three days later, arriving home, about 60 miles of travel, chapter 30, verse 1, let's read together. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could not weep any longer. They had no more strength to weep. They were broken. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those who were captured. Verse 6, David was now in great danger 
Because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. Stop right there. So let's recap for a moment. David, this man after God's own heart, is anointed as the son of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. And we know that there's a problem with that because King Saul is still in control and still in power. And there's this kind of battle, if you will, just wait for your turn, David. And King Saul is still on the throne, and he's now chasing David. And so David is away from home. He's away from Israel, where his support system's at. He's on the lamb. He's been on the lamb for a long time. He's got these people who trust him, and they follow him. And he's had opportunities to kill Saul. I'm sure his men might have been a little upset with him for not taking advantage of those opportunities so far. And then they go to battle with the king of Philistine, right? And he says, hey, you can't fight with us. Go back home. And so he and his men go back home. Three days, probably 60 miles or so of a journey to get back to their home. I'm sure they were tired. I'm sure they were frustrated. I'm sure that they were longing for home, maybe a little rest. Maybe they were looking forward to seeing their families. And it says, as they got close to Ziklag, I'm sure they saw smoke coming up. I'm sure they realized something was out of whack. Something was not normal. And they get there, and Ziklag, Ziklag, their town, had been burned to the ground. And everyone that was precious to them, their men, were all gone. What would you do? On top of that, David's men now talk about stoning him. These men that were with him, that were supporting him, they're saying, you know what, this is enough. I'm done. I mean, right, you could have killed Saul back then. This would have all been over with. But no, no, you didn't do that. Now we come back and our families are gone. I've had it up to here, David. We're done. They're talking about stoning David. He has no support at home in Israel. He has no support because his family's gone. And now his trusted people that were running with him are now talking about killing David. This is a crucible moment for David. How will he respond? What will he do? What will you do when you face a crucible moment, a severe test or trial? The reality is, is in that moment, there's a choice that we can make. We can choose to give in to despair, which simply is hopelessness, right? Where you feel like, man, there's just a hopeless situation. There's no way anything good can come out of this. This is a choice that we have. We can just give in and say it's hopeless, In fact, David could have said, you know what? I'm tired of running. Just stone me now. Put me out of my misery. He could have given in to hopelessness, but the choice that David made is just one sentence. And I wish that the writer of this this letter unpacked it a little bit more for us because it didn't tell us how David did it. But listen to what it says David did. Here was his choice in his crucible moment. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Church, that's it. For us, the key to overcoming any severe trial is to find our strength in the Lord. Now, I wish that I could say, let me tell you how it says that David did that. It doesn't share that with us. It just simply says that David found strength in the Lord his God. The first thing David did was he chose resolve and not despair. And I think there's a lesson in that for each one of us today. Amen? When you experience a severe trial in life, you can choose to give in. You can choose to uh, just be in despair and hopelessness and to say it's no use, there's no way. Or you can say, you know what, I want to come to the determination to make up my mind as to follow some course of action. And in the case of David, he said, I'm going to get my strength in Jesus. I'm going to get my strength in God. David found strength in the Lord, his God. And so I would say the choices that change our lives forever in those crucible moments, we can choose despair or we can also choose 
resolve. How many know we should choose resolve, right? So the word there in the Hebrew is hazak. Hazak means to, to grow or to make strong. Um, it means to prevail or to have or to show courage. But I like this one too because it says to grasp or to keep hold of. I like to think of in, in a very scary situation, you're hanging over the cliff and the only thing you have is a rope. How many know you're going to hang on to the rope for dear life? Right? And the scripture tells us a threefold cord is not easily broken. I mean, there's strength in that. So I, I would like to suggest to you that there's three truths that we must hold on to in the middle of our crucible moments. In the middle of our severe trials and tests and pain, there are these three truths that I believe we should hold on to for dear life. Before I share those with you, let me just share with you, I see God's sovereignty in all of this. Um, and let me go ahead and read it. It says, then David said to, um, he found strength in the Lord as God. He says, then he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor. Uh, but 200 of the men were too exhausted. Remember, they, they had wept till they couldn't weep any longer. They were discouraged. They had made a three-day journey back from the battle lines, and now they're just so exhausted that they can't go forward. So David continues the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake, two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the, the Kerithites and the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead us to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man said, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, I will guide you right to them, David. Verse 16, so he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking, dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder that they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of all the livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder that we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to just be gone. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were friends. Here's a present for you, taken from the, land, the Lord's enemies, he said. 
The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns. He goes on to talk, talk about the towns that David sends all this plunder to. So the story tar- starts out as a tragic event, right? A, a crucible moment, a, a moment of decision. And we read on, the story turns into triumph, right? They're successful, no harm, no foul, everybody's back home. David is victorious once again. But between the tragedy and the triumph, there's this choice that had to be made in this crucible moment. And the choice was David would find resolve and not give in to despair. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that I see the sovereignty of God in all of this. And let me just share with you, first off, the fact that they were sent back from the, from the battle lines to go back home. It took them three days to get home, and if they had stayed and fought in the battle, it might have been a lot longer of a time that the enemy had come and taken their families and everything away. And so you just kind of see God's grace in sending them home early so that they're hot on the heels of those who had raided Ziklag. You see God's hand at work there. Here's another one that's really cool. It says, then he said to Abiathar the priest. Let me just tell you who Abiathar is. Abiathar is the son of Ahimelech. Ahimelech was the priest And it says earlier that he's the one that gave David some bread um, from the tabernacle, and he also gave him the, the the sword that he killed Goliath with. And as a result, King Saul was mad because Abiathar had aided David as he's running from him, that it says he had killed 85 priests, all still wearing their priestly garments. And the only one that escaped was this guy, Abiathar. So I see God's grace and sovereignty even in that, that in David's crucible moment, he still had someone with him, a priest. There was a priest in the area. He said, hey, bring the ephod. The ephod was just a tool that they used to discern the will of God. And so David inquires of God, should we go after them? Will we be successful? God answers, yes. And the third area I see God's hand in this is that he finds this Egyptian slave that had been abandoned because he was sick. It's like God saying, hey, not only will you be successful, but I'm going to lead you right to the enemy's camp by giving you uh, a tour guide. Now, they, they fed him, and they got him revived. And he says, hey, will you take us to him? If you won't kill me, I'll take you right where they're at. And so through this story, you just see God's hand working through the situation, right, to bring them triumph. But back to that moment in David's life, that crucible moment where he's faced with making a decision. Do I give in to despair or do I go forward and resolve? I want to share with you these three very important truths that I believe that we should take hold of in those moments. To grasp or to keep hold of these truths. This is very simple, but listen to me. Truth number one, I'm not alone. Do you know that? That we're not alone. That David knew he wasn't alone. And he, he, he had everyone else that was against him, right? He had no support from back home. His family was gone. Even his friends were ready to stone him. But it says, but he found strength in the Lord his God. You know what that means? He wasn't alone. And even when you're going through a difficult situation in life, you and I need to always remember we are not alone. Never. Ever. No matter how bad it gets, we are not alone. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I find great comfort in that, no matter what goes on in my life. He says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 43.2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Of course, David wrote Psalm 23. What does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. We're not alone. Aren't you encouraged by that truth this morning? And when you go through a season in life and a very difficult, severe trial, sometimes something that seems so obvious to us, we can completely forget that. That's why I said I think we need to hold on to it for dear life. The truth that, you know what, I'm not alone. I may feel alone. I may feel like everyone else has abandoned me. But if I've got God, I've got enough. I am not alone. I'll remind us too as New Christian, New Testament Christians that when you place your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Can I just tell you we're not alone? He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives in you? And if God is in us, who can be against us, church? Why are you excited this morning? Maybe I had too much coffee. I'll give you some grace. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We are not alone. In your crucible moment, when you feel alone, don't believe the lie. You are not alone. David was not alone. He found strength in the Lord his God. Truth number two that I want you to hold on to. He alone, speaking of God, is our helper. In the crucible moments when we feel the severe pain and the trial, to know, you know what, I'm not alone, and he's the one that's going to help me. Right? He alone is my helper. I think where we get off track sometimes as believers is we put a lot of hope and expectation in people or money or doctors or circumstances. Like, man, I just really need certain things to line up for me and things can be good. When we get to the point where you got nothing and you feel like no one else is there, you know what? I got God and he's enough and he wants me to come to him and him alone. He is my helper. It says, David Strengthened himself in the Lord, it says, then he said to Abithar the priest, bring me the ephod, i.e., I need to seek God. I need to go to God in this moment. I need to ask God, what am I supposed to do, and will we be successful in the campaign? God, what do you want me to do? Church, can I tell you, he wants us to seek him in our crucible moments. He wants us to seek after him in those moments. Psalm 121 says, I look to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as the protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over us or over you as you come and go, both now and forever. New Testament, Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, hey, he alone is our helper. He says, come to me. In other words, he says, come to me, all you who labor and have your laden, and I'll give you rest. There's an invitation for us in our time of need to come to him. He alone is my helper. That's a truth that we need to hang on to. In our crucible moments. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I.e. in our crucible moments. In these severe tests and trials, let us come boldly. Let us come. That's an invitation. To the throne of our gracious God. It's there that we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. Philippians 4, 6 
And seven, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We should seek him. Ask, seek, knock. He invites us to come to him. He says, hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to rely on me as your only helper in that moment because he is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we think or ask, right? He wants us to come to him and to trust him. Another way that we can seek him is in worship. Have you ever just considered that for a moment, that there's power even in worship? I remind you in the book of Acts of some guys that were locked up in a jail and they began a worship service in the middle of the night when everyone else was trying to sleep and it says that the prison doors just flew off of its hinges and they were free men. There's power in praise and worship. And I read a, a deal a long time ago and I reminded the guys this morning as we were praying um, that one time the power went out in this little town. And so on the billboard of the church it says, due to the lack of power, there will be no worship tonight. And I think we could make the case to flip that around and say, due to the lack of worship, there will be no power in our lives. There's power in worship. And we seek him in worship. God, I don't know where else to go. Where else will I go? Where does my help come from? Lord, I know I'm not alone. And I know that you and you alone have the key to help me in this crucible moment of my life. And I'm seeking you and you alone. When we're going through a severe trial, what does he want our response to be? He wants us to trust him. He wants us to come to him. And this last truth, he wants us to trust him alone. That's faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. You know what that means? Faith is, you know, believing in what you can't see. And he says we walk like that. If we could have all the evidence in front of us, it wouldn't be faith, right? Right? He says, we as followers of Christ, we walk by faith. And so when we walk through the, the rivers, when we walk through the, the hardships, the storms in life, the trials, there's just this part of us that has faith to say, hey, I know I'm not alone. And I know that he says, an opportunity for me, a crucible moment for me to choose resolve and not despair and to go to him for my help. Now, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know when it's going to turn around, but I just know that I know that I know that he loves me. He's not going to leave me. And I know that he's there for me should I call on his name. That's faith. And I've said many times in this church, it's easy to say we have that kind of faith in this context. But what about when you hear the word cancer? Or what about when you lose that loved one that you were so close to? Or you experience the hardship of a relationship breakup, you know, lost divorce, or, or a bankruptcy, all these different things that come our way. It's easy to say we trust God when things are great. It's in the trial. It's in the crucible moments that that faith is tested. Like the crucible, the heat is turned up. And God said, let me just test their faith. Let me just reveal the character that's in them. Let me see how strong they hold up. Church, we could learn a lesson there. Amen? I've been in the hospital many times, and one of my... Frequent counsels to all people in hospitals. And just if you've not been or one day you're going to be there, just keep this in mind. I believe that that place is the devil's playground. Now, let me clarify that. I'm not talking about the nurses, the doctors, but I'm talking about just the fact that you're in a hospital, you've heard the news, you're recovering from sickness, and you're there confined to a bed in a place. It's the playground, if you will, in the battlefield of the mind. Because I've seen over and over and over again people just get defeated, discouraged, just this sense of hopelessness. And I'm there trying to pump them up and say, hey, listen, we say we believe in God. Do you believe God? Do you trust him? Do you know that he's in control? 
And I believe that one of the biggest challenges that we'll face is in those crucible moments. Do we choose to give in to hopelessness or do we choose to trust God? And I think he's looking for people that say, I don't care what I walk through, God. I trust you no matter what. So he wants us to trust him alone. And, and I would say this, trust is earned. Has he not earned our trust yet? Has he not earned our relying on him like, hey, you've been faithful in my past, God, so many times. In fact, the disciples who were with him, man, they saw him do everything that he did. And he looks at them and says, have you not learned yet? Do you still not have faith? I just want to relate to you that, church, I think that sometimes we're guilty of the same things. Like, hey, do we trust him or not? God has revealed himself to be faithful in my past so many times. And so it's not a blind faith, but it's a trust that has been earned. And I know that God's in control. God, I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you. The last thing I want to do is say I'm done with God, because I've heard that one too. I can't believe God let me experience this hardship. Took away my mom, my dad, my loved one. Let me experience this bankruptcy. Allowed me to get sickness. I can't believe God did that. I'm just, I'm done with God in this moment. Here's my question to you. Where else are you going to go? Who else are you going to turn to? Where else are you going to find the hope to sustain you in those darkest moments of your life? Has he not earned our trust in him yet? Job said, even if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. And that needs to be our, our attitude, amen, when we walk through the fire to say, God, I don't know what's going on. It hurts. It actually sucks right now. But, God, I trust you no matter what. And I'm not going to turn from you. I'm going to rely on you with everything that i got. I'm holding on to you with all that I have. He's promised to be with us. He's demonstrated his love to us. It says he, he showed or revealed his love to us in this way that God sent his son to die on the cross while we were still sinners. That's how he demonstrated how much he loved us. Who else has the power to work the things out for our good, as he says in Romans 8, 8. James, James 1, verse 5, 8, and I'll close. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, like these crucible moments, these moments of severe trial, Consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now listen, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. David found strength in the Lord his God. And that's the key for each one of us when we go through a severe trial or crucible moment is to find strength. And the Lord our God. And I hope that we can remember that threefold core, those truths that we hold on to dearly, right? I'm not alone. He wants me to come to him for help alone. He wants me to trust in him alone. And whatever God's trying to do in our lives or going to allow to go, us to go through, uh, we trust that he's got a plan and a purpose in all of it. Um, and, and that's our role is to trust him. He's demonstrated, and we say this, we believe that he's faithful, don't we? I don't know, church. Maybe we need a little more seeking God.
We get on Google and we seek for answers, solutions, call a lawyer, call a doctor, specialist. What do you say? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. How many know we need some healing in our land today? The first step is just humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face. We see stuff going on around the world today. This word revival has come back up. I don't know, in my spirit, I get excited about that. I've prayed for it for years. God, I want you to start a revival, but I want you to start it in my shoes first. That's what true revival is, by the way. It's not a place, an event, a time, a schedule. It's when he begins to renew the heart of his people. And maybe today, this is just an opportunity for us to say, God, listen, I know I've been so distracted, and I've been just kind of in a foul mood because I've gone through some things in life, but right here, right now, God, I want to just renew and, and refocus on the author and the finisher and the perfecter of my faith, and I want to trust you and you alone. Because like the pastor said, where else am I going to go? I'm not going to find any hope anywhere else. He's the answer to everything that we need. Amen? I woke up with a song in my heart this morning. I love this kind of relatively new worship song. It says, oh, where? Where can I run? Where can I hide that you're not there? And you, you know my heart, all of my thoughts, you understand. I can't outrun your love. I can't outrun your love. You love me when I'm up. You love me when I'm down. Your love, it surrounds me. I can't get away. You love me when I'm lost. You love me till I'm found. Your love, it surrounds me. I can't get away. Oh, you, you see my mess. Isn't that the truth? He sees our mess, all my mistakes, and you love me still. And though, though I may waver, I am convinced that you never change. Church, God does not change, and that's good news for you and me today. Amen? In the crucible moments of life, will we choose despair, a sense of hopelessness, or will we demonstrate our faith and choose resolve? I am resolved to trust in God no matter what. He's the one that's in control. Lord, if it's true that you use all things, you're able to take those things and use them for my good, then God, please bring some good out of this so that I might grow in my faith. Father, thank you for your word today, Lord, for just the, the, the reminder through King David that when it felt like all hope is lost in his severe trial, this moment of a great crucible when he was physically alone, he wasn't alone. And he made a choice in that moment to choose resolve, not despair, not to give in to the hopeless situation, but he found his strength in you. I pray, God, that we would be able to find our strength in you too when we walk through the crucible moments of life. I pray that we would never, ever forget Father, that we're not alone. Even when it feels like everyone has turned against us, we have no support, and there's no one that cares, God, help us to know that we are never alone. We have you. Lord, help us to trust in you alone, that you are our helper. We don't put our, uh, what does the psalm say? Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We recognize that you are our helper. David sought you. Lord, help us to seek you today whether it's in prayer, whether it's digging into your word, whether it's in worship, help us to seek your face because we certainly need you to heal our lands and help us to trust you, Lord, alone. Lord, that's it, faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we know that you're building our faith. We know that you're growing us up in our faith. 
Lord, I, I know that, uh, that there's an end goal in all of this, and one day we'll all stand before you, and my hope is that you're growing us and maturing us and making us stronger and more confident in you through whatever it is that we encounter in life, God, that we would just know that there's a plan and there's a purpose in all of the trials. Lord, you, like that refiner of silver, stand over us, and you allow the things that we go through to do a work in our lives. And whether it's just revealing these character flaws and we have the choice to skim that junk off the top and be done with it once and for all, God, I pray that we would grow in our faith that way. Or whether those crucible moments are used not for our benefit, but for others as they see us make the right choices, that it strengthens them in their faith, that it reveals our character in those moments of trial. Lord, would you just please grow us a little more in our faith today. Let these not be wasted opportunities, but let us take advantage of every opportunity that's around us. And consider it, as James says, an opportunity for great joy because we know you're up to something. Lord, I know that there's a lot of people that are going through some difficult situations even right now. God, would you just throw them a lifeline? Would you throw them that, that cord, that threefold cord, and let them hold on to the truth that they're not alone? Help them to hold on with all they have that they come to you for your help and you alone. And Lord, help them to hold on to that idea that you want us to trust you. You've earned our trust. You deserve our trust. Where else will we go? God, would you be honored in our lives as we walk this thing out? Would you forgive us for the times we've doubted you? Forgive us for the times when we've murmured and complained. I'm reminded of the, the Quakers who have this phrase called centering down, and it's just a moment when they just get quiet, they get still, and they listen. Sometimes, Father, we just talk too much, or we complain and whine too much. And we just need to be quiet and be still and know that you're God. And Lord, it's in those moments that I believe that we experience your peace, that peace that passes all understanding, your power. Lord, your power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us is what you say, Lord, that we would experience that power and most importantly, your peace. Your peace, your power, your presence in that, mo in that moment, God, that we just experience your, your presence in our lives. Lord, would you be honored and glorified in our lives as we leave this building today and we go out in a world that's just jacked up. But help us to go out there with the resolve whether we trust you and you alone. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.